Hey everyone, welcome back to the 235 Film Podcast. You are listening to episode 2 of season 2. This season we are exploring 10 classic sci-fi films from the 20th century. And today we have the honor of giving our thoughts on what many consider to be the pinnacle of the genre itself. Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Brent and I were a bit nervous coming into this episode because of the grandiosity that accompanies this film. But once we shook the nerves off, it really became two friends talking about one of their favorite films of all time. So enough chit-chatting, let's get right to it. All right, here we are. Another episode. Here we are. <laughs> Taking it right back. Hitting it, hitting it back one time. <laughs> as the kids say, right? Yeah, this is uh, episode two of... Episode two of uh, season two. Our sci-fi. Yeah. Sci-fi two episode, for two. Sci-fi season, I guess. Sci-fi, um, classic sci-fi. So, Sorry, yeah, classic sci-fi, 20th century sci-fi, whatever you want to call it. It's our second season, and here we are. Grassroots sci-fi. Episode two. (laughs) Um, So this episode, we're talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey, as you well know from last last episode. Last week, we actually mentioned that this is going to happen. I've actually been looking forward to today. Yeah, me too. I think think out of all the films uh, that we have lined up for season two... This is your most this excited. One, yeah, this one I'm probably most excited about. That's that's interesting because there's a lot Why? to go still. I know, but like this is it for you. It's a peak. Everything's downhill yeah. from here. Everything's downhill from here. Well, yeah. yeah, we had a we had a strong climb up to get to this point. That's that's true. That's true. Working through uh, POA. And well, planet, just planet yeah, of the Apes oh, yeah. was, a, was a challenge. <laughs> it was a struggle. You know what's funny? Uh, I was looking back at um, some of the info between this and Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes had, was released in February only in one theater. And then its wide release was on the same day as 2001's wide release. Oh, really? And the same exact day, April 3rd, 1968. That's crazy. It's what nuts. Time? I don't know, but, but like, well, imagine going to the theater I mean, and not knowing, like, what to watch. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that, it, it, it's kind of, I watched the trailer for both of them. I probably still would have picked A Space Odyssey, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about how people were thinking then, though. You know, like. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like A Space Odyssey is even still a reach for today. <laughs> yeah you know that's mean? for like, sure but then again like there were so many people that hated on 2001 back in the back in the day when it right, first came out so right that's what i'm saying i i'm saying like even now there are still people who are like hating Whoa. on it like yeah but then i'm sure it was like dude what even is this like what am i watching right now <laughs> well see that's what's interesting to me because uh if you were a movie goer back then would because the trailer for 2001 is very very much in the same vein as 2001 itself feels very oh, vague sure. and yeah and so so watching that versus watching a planet of the apes trailer i'm maybe as a moviegoer back then i might have been inclined to go to see planet of the apes first charlton heston's in it he was a right, big name big saying. draw yeah exactly and, um, and it's like so, an approachable concept too like i mean it's pretty expository right. in the whole sense of like you know the, their whole film 2001 is not that way it's very like obviously we understand kind of the whole overarching theme of life or whatever but like i mean it's very like it's very artistic very right like 
Kubrick, for lack of a better word. Like <laughs> right, but like this movie kind of made that w- Kubrick itself the name made right. it like this thing. You know, this is right. the movie yeah. that really did it for him. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I I, I might have even walked away as a moviegoer back then, thinking that Planet of the Apes might have been better than the Space Odyssey. I don't could know. You imagine? Dude, could you even imagine? <laughs> Because, I mean, if you, if you look at it today and, like, 2001 has the legs to just keep going. I can see, like, 50 years from now, this movie still, like, going strong. Like, I, I don't see it ever stopping. Whereas Planet oh, of the Apes, I mean, like, no one talks right. about Planet of the Apes anymore. Come no, on. No, no. But, yeah, this is, like, this is, like, foundational cinema that we're talking about right now. Right. Not just it's in not the sci-fi, sci-fi genre. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah. I agree this with you is on like, that. This is, like one of the 10 like pillars of cinematic history <laughs> yeah. or whatever. You yeah. know what I mean? I agree with you on that yeah. one. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why it's kind of got me hyped a little bit because like, because of its influence in the entirety of the like industry, like not just sci-fi, but everything that it has an influence on, like you said, the way it paved the way for Kubrick's work, like, like you can watch any of his films and see mm-hmm. inspiration from his, this, you know what I mean? Whether it be yeah. structure outline, you know, how the story's built to cinematography, how shots are framed out and yeah. whatever. Like, I mean, obviously we don't see too many more like space themed films <laughs> from him, but yeah. Uh, um, but I mean, even what was his prior film to this? Uh, Doctor uh, Doctor Strangelove. I don't know now. I I can't remember. Yeah, it was because when so the whole diving right into it when when we go from that twenty minute intro scene of like uh, the beginning of society mm-hmm. um, and like uh, humanity's realization of weapons and the ape throws that bone up in the air you know yeah and that bone turns into like it kind of fades into the spaceship yeah that that spaceship is actually like a nuclear a nuclear weapons launch system Oh, really yeah and it like there was supposed to be more attention on that fact i was reading about this but because dr strangelove was so recent and like that was his that was his prior work he didn't want that same theme to be carried over oh, identically into the next film so it was kind of more elusive as just a spacecraft but that yeah. that that it was called star child something like <laughs> that whole like nuclear launch facility or whatever that oh, was inti- yeah that i thought that was pretty interesting too but yeah, yeah, I think I think he did. I think he didn't want too many like blurred lines between his prior work and this one, which is again a very Kubrick thing. Like, yeah, there's similarities in like structure and stuff like that, but none of his work is like like at all thematically connected. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true. The Shining, are, he, he, Clockwork Orange, Eyes yeah, Wide Shut, <laughs> two thousand one. Yeah, he definitely chooses Dude, very different. It's like things. a pinata. Yeah. You have absolutely no idea what's gonna fall out. You never next. know what you're gonna get. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a box crazy. of chocolates. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Light. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll save that for it, our Tom it, Hanks season. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> or Robin Wright. Um, so oh, man, what what I thought was really interesting is obviously coming into this movie, this watch, 
I I've, I don't know how many times I've watched this movie, but coming into this watch, I knew that there's not a lot of dialogue. But I was surprised to like find out there's only 40 minutes of dialogue in this movie. Yeah, 80. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's super crazy. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. You know what I love about that? I was actually thinking a lot about that in the same vein that you were. I've never like I've watched this movie a trillion times. I don't yeah. even know. But like. I've never thought about it that way. Watching it now, the <laughs> lack of dialogue adds so much like texture and 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 like weight behind the concept mm-hmm. of space in general. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like yeah. I feel I feel the same way about Wally. <laughs> I know that sounds stupid, but like the first like half hour of Wally, there's almost no there's almost no dialogue. And I think that's like pouring that's like pouring gasoline on the fire Mm. of that whole like loneliness aspect of just the, the, I love space. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I personally. Oh yeah. (laughs) Love space. I'm infatuated with the concept of space and it's kind of like the ocean for me in the sense of like, I love that we will never fully understand what space has to offer because of, uh, actually, I, this is a great uh, segue for me to introduce our guest today. Oh boy. Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is with <laughs> us. Uh, yeah, it's it was it was a stretch. I know Neil. Go ahead and say hello to the uh, the audience here. Uh, we have a bad Neil, connection well, with him. We'll oh. just keep moving. <laughs> we'll we'll keep moving without Neil today. <laughs> but uh, this isn't a space podcast anyway, so yeah, we'll save right. that for him. Um, <laughs> Um, I forgot what I, anyway, well, yeah, but yeah, like just the, what you were saying about the dialogue for sure, like the the lack of dialogue definitely like accentuates the fact that like you're in space, you know. The tagline from yeah. Alien, which we'll actually cover later on this this season, uh, is that in space no one can hear you scream, which is like so. I, it, this is the, another thing yeah. that was really interesting to me. I'm totally getting like getting ahead of myself here, but like that no, scene when Dave is trying to get back into uh, the Discovery and he like has to exit through the pod open the pod bay door please dave yeah right but or, he has yeah. to exit through How? the pod and get back into the discovery and there's no sound whatsoever and then he you know he's able to close the the, the yeah. discovery doors the emergency doors and then like a sound all of a sudden comes back in comes back in yeah and it's like so i feel like it would be accurate and i as as far as i read like this is one of the most accurate space depictions up until that time um yeah maybe uh, uh this is just me i think that there's more to space besides just the uh atmospheric vacuum aspect like i think that right. dave would have died like well 100 he wouldn't have made 100 percent. <laughs> so unfortunately dave didn't succeed <laughs> everything else is a dream sequence after that um I don't. Well, maybe I. Uh, I've, I can't think of what movie it was. No, it's not. No, Hold it's on, not. I can't think of what movie it was. But there was a movie where, bro, Interstellar. Don't they do that? The guy cracks his. Oh, but yeah. they're inside an atmosphere, technically, right? Uh, right. So I guess. Uh, also in, uh, yeah, because it's like, like whenever the helmet cracks in Interstellar, it sounds like that uh, that water vacuum from the dentist's office. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Oh my gosh. All right. Anyway. Um, um, 
Yeah. I feel yeah. Like, uh, funny. I feel like Interstellar always pops up in our episodes. <laughs> well, it's a sci-fi. Uh, to segue off one thing yeah. you said, we're, it's actually a personal goal of ours to be able to introduce the uh, alien tagline in every episode <laughs> until we get to the aliens episode. So, you know, next episode we're talking Solaris. about uh, Solaris. Solaris, Solaris, and Solaris. we're going to find a... <laughs> We're gonna find a way to insert uh, <laughs> insert that. So get ready. Uh, um, yeah. No. Uh, one interesting fact that I found out was coming coming off that scene with the pod mm-hmm. the pod bay yeah. door thing. Uh, there's a lot of heavy breathing. <laughs> yeah. In that, uh, you know, Kubrick did all those Shut sounds up. himself. That's yeah. cool. No, did I didn't you know, know that, that already. Yeah, so any sound that happens as breathing was while they're Kubrick? in their astronaut suits, yeah, he did all oh, of those breathing sounds. That's so cool. <laughs> it's cool, but also it's kind of creepy to like imagine Stanley Kubrick, like, because it's like uh, it's like twenty five <laughs> consecutive minutes of astronauts heavy breathing. So you know what? To keep, I mean, to that's keep him. The just, theme. To keep up the theme of Interstellar, <sighs> I believe. I don't know if it was Interstellar. <laughs> Uh, okay <laughs> he's like an athlete basically hey another thing i noticed is that he must have they must have shot the movie and then he did the sounds because right. he's like what i can just imagine him watching because once dave starts to get tense he goes like this yeah yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. he's actually pretty yeah, good no 100 percent. um i didn't know that he did that but to keep up the theme of interstellar uh i'm pretty sure I'm, now, now I'm not sure if it was Interstellar or Tenet, but I'm pretty sure that um, it was Tenet. I think I read this about Tenet, um, that uh, Ludwig actually got uh, Christopher Nolan's breathing and made it a part of the soundtrack. I think it would have had to have been uh, yeah, Tenet because uh, only did right. Tenet <laughs> Christopher Nolan. <laughs> Anyways, um, no, yeah. Cool. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that oh, like if you want to maybe it was like the reverse sounds, maybe yeah. I guess what I'm trying to say is that know, when, if you ever want to uh, become an, uh, a film auteur, you have to incorporate your breathing into your film somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Absolutely. we'll see if Dune has any breathing from Denny Villeneuve. <laughs> I'm sure it will. Hans, I'm the sure. balls in if your you court. Become one of the greats. <laughs> If you want to become foundational director of 21st century cinema, you've got to breathe for your uh, actors. Um, anyway, yeah. So I thought that was super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about the film itself? Like uh, thematically? Thematically or like, I mean, even if we want to talk about the opening montage. <clears throat> On my notes here, all I have down is Kubrick breathing, <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I've kind of extended myself further than my, uh... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> don't worry. I got plenty of notes. <laughs> uh, I think that... I think that... I think that the montage of humanity understanding what 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 violence and uh, weaponization uh-huh. as a concept yeah. looks like is, is really yeah. well done. I think... I think that that's, I mean, obviously that is, that's the whole concept of the movie, right? Like that's evolution, uh, t- evolution, but not just evolution of of humanity. It's the evolution of violence. Like, like yeah, I think like, violence is a theme. I think 
I, I wouldn't totally but agree with you. It. I think it's evolution uh, in more than one aspect, right? Not just like evolution from apes to humans, but like evolution in technology, uh, evolution in violence as well. But I think the violence portion of it, outside of that, the chapter of Don a Man, I think it more has to do with how, right? Yeah, but but it may not be violence necessarily, physical mm-hmm. violence for him. But but think about his evolution as a computer, mm-hmm. as a machine, his machine learning process. As soon as he gained uh, uh, independent thought, immediately it turned into a an opposition, like. Like Hal started beginning to function yeah. for himself, and immediately the people who were working with him were working against him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was true. Yeah. Like they um, were, but and maybe that's situational. But at the same time, like I don't know, I don't know. It was so easy for him to. Uh, what the other guy's name was Frank, right? Frank. I Poole. think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, he he killed Frank. Mm-hmm. Which how I don't know, but he did do it. He killed him with his words, I guess. <laughs> I was a little bit confused uh, with how Frank died because uh, Hal took control of the pod, but Hal couldn't take control of um, Dave. Dave's pod. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, so I was a little bit confused. Um, I will say that uh, I I was surprised in this viewing to see how short how little of how we actually see compared to the the length of the film i i couldn't blew I my mind i didn't remember that it was that sh- it wasn't that like it's mm-hmm. not the entire film basically <laughs> i almost crazy, completely forgot the like the whole beginning portion of the film like after the donna man chapter but like with uh dr floyd that whole section like i almost forgot that i it gotta existed. say yeah that that is the only part where i'm kind of like okay like What's truly the purpose here? Like, like right. you've taken something here and inserted half an hour of our time to to get to a point that could have been explained in five minutes. Uh, it definitely could have been explained in five minutes. Um, I agreed that this is probably the slowest portion of the film for me. Um, but I think it's just Kubrick, like, couldn't let up. You know, I think if Kubrick had done so much exposition right there just to explain that in five minutes, it wouldn't it would have put a major blow into the film. You know what I mean? Like a, a delta major blow. into the Yeah. Film. Yeah, I can get that. Um, so I think he I think in the spirit of what he was doing with this film as a whole, he did what he did with that, that whole sequence. But which I'm fine with. I, I think uh, Floyd has some things to order to, to offer the audience as far as like how the government is dealing with this situation of finding right. um, this monolith, this this uh, alien thing that they think is an alien thing. I guess there's the concept there of, yeah, of like, like, of, I mean, it's kind of like the Ad Astra concept yeah. of like, he went through so many levels until he actually right. figured out what was right. going on. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So I guess, I guess there was a, a lot of exposition there as far as like, how important the mission mm-hmm. was for Dave and Frank. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's funny you mentioned Ad Astra. I'm just going back a little bit from what you were saying. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Ad Astra because watching, uh, 2001 this time, I gained more respect for Ad Astra. 
One thousand percent. Because I I was not a big fan of Ad Astra when I watched it the first time. Second time I liked it a little more, but this time I feel like I could see more of the connections between two thousand and one and Ad Astra. At least what uh, who who made Ad Astra? Was it James? Uh, shoot, I can't remember his name. It was. Um, I'm not sure. It was the same guy who's doing the Batman, isn't it? it no, no, no. I don't think so. James Gray, there we go. Um, huh. So seeing at seeing at Astra, I can see. Or sorry, seeing two thousand one now, I can see what James Gray was trying to go for with that Astra, and I commend yeah. him because he he pretty much hit the visual motifs and like even the, the absolute the atmosphere of that film really really resembles yeah. what two thousand one is going for and what Kubrick yeah. was trying to do, and the the Moon Pirates in two thousand one and the Moon Pirates in. Uh, Ad Astra are like yeah, identical yeah. almost. Yeah. Like it was so. Like, it's crazy how well he was able to fashion the Moon Pirates fifty years later, yeah. so similarly yeah. to the. But anyways, <laughs> I think I think overall, um, two thousand one really kind of it, it, it's it blends really well together. I think Kubrick made these. What what I can tell, it's four different segments. That's what it feels like: the Dawn of Man, the yeah. Moon uh, site, and then there's Hal Nine Thousand, and then there's the ending with Dave, uh, pretty much in the monolith, from what I could tell. Dude, wow! Yeah, like that is crazy to me. That like, I I'm telling you, I've seen this movie a trillion times, and and the ending <laughs> still hits so hard yeah, for me, yeah, yeah. like. But that is interstellar 1000% in my mind. Like, like what I see happening on screen is what, what, what Matthew McConaughey's character was living through Mm -hmm. the, uh, what did they call that thing? It was the the Tesseract Tesseract, living through the Tesseract dude. As he's that whole cutscene where Dave is, is traveling through reality. It's the same concept as like, not only is he traveling through reality, but he's also experiencing time all at once. Mm. And like, like he's looking at himself as a middle-aged man and that middle-aged man is seeing himself in his deathbed. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that whole concept of people like Christopher Nolan and Stanley Kubrick understand time <laughs> better than any of us. <laughs> yeah. I'm serious. Yeah. I think that you and I are currently living in a 10 at scenario. <laughs> like, like, I believe that. I believe our friendship is moving two directions. You're on the forward move, and I'm moving backward. <laughs> and this is just the moment where our paths in a cross. <laughs> I think that these folks really understand it, and I I know I'm giggling now, but I'm serious. <laughs> like seeing that, I believe that time is like that. It's not linear. It's like just everything is happening all at once. I don't time. know that I could uh, totally agree with you there. but Well, you're not a scientist. <laughs> Neither are so. you. Um, well. <laughs> hey, uh, I did want to, uh, since we're since we're at the end, let's just talk about the end. Let's just do it. We're all over the place. I here. know, but since we're here, let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, okay. What? Where should we start? I have a question okay, quick before we all get right. started. Uh, Hal died. He, he removed all of his memory cores or whatever. Well, he removed his memory. How- he didn't die. But but like, the concept of learned Hal was perished. N- not like, perished. It was just removed. Okay. All right. I got you. Right. Like it's still there. You, he didn't like take those tapes and burn them or anything. Right. 
yeah, that's true. The reason I say that is because yeah, there's a sequel, you. 2010, the year we make contact, and in that film, which I watched this Sound morning, <laughs> I watched this morning, and it's it's not a bad movie by any means, but it, it almost undone un, undoes what Kubrick did with this because it explains well, almost everything. There's books. There's right? books, but here's the thing. So, okay, so history story, right? Let's just go back. We'll talk about the ending later. Um, Kubrick uh, was done with Doctor Strangelove, and he wanted to. He just had like this whole fascination with space, wanted to make a space movie, uh, and then he started looking around for a science fiction author so that he could write the screenplay with. Finally, landed with Arthur C. Clarke, and they wrote the screenplay together. So it wasn't right. it, the the screenplay was based off of a couple different amalgamations of Arthur C. Clarke's short stories. Um, but like Kubrick kind of helped him piece it together, so they were together on that. It, it's funny actually because well, Dune, Dune was the same way, right? Like Dune. Uh, um, no, uh, Dune. David Lynch. No, not at Frank all. Herbert. What the hell, dude? Absolutely <laughs> no. Yeah. Dude, wait, for are sure. you are you serious about this? No, yeah. dude, you're wrong about that. Um, Dune came out in if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the book was released in the 60s and the movie came out in 84 85 um what you think somebody who's 20 years older can we'll, we'll talk about dune when we actually we'll talk about dune yeah dune <laughs> was written in 65 the movie came out in 84 um we'll talk about dune when we get to dune because I, I really like the history there but um back to 2001 so it's funny because uh the way they were going to do it is that the book was going to come out at the same time as the movie 2001 and in the screenplay it would be uh, written by stanley kubrick and arthur c clark and then the book would be written by arthur c clark with stanley kubrick so that they can kind of give respect to their own mediums um sure but like the the book just ended up having a lot more detail arthur c clark just ended up explaining a lot more in the book than the movie does because that's just the way things are with books you especially science fiction you end up like explaining everything out um right yeah so the movie came out first and then the book came out. So if you want questions or answers to 2001, you could totally just read 2001 and find those answers. But Arthur C. Clarke continued to write novels. And I think he wrote four right, sequels. He did two more, I think, right? I think it was four sequels, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, really? No, I think I'm, I'm getting that mistaken with Dune probably. But um, it was a couple sequels. Yeah. So because there's more than one sequel, that's for sure. So 2010 was written. And then yeah. later they went to – to Stanley Kubrick to ask him to make 2010 in the uh, 80s. And he's like, no, <laughs> no way. Yeah, dude, I wouldn't either. Um, but the guy who made 2010 actually went to him and asked him, like, asked for his blessing, him and Arthur C. Clarke. And he got it. Oh, really? He got it. But it was more like Kubrick was like, do whatever you want. <laughs> it wasn't like, yeah, do this. You have my blessing. It was more like, I don't care what you do. Do it if you want. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, I watched it this morning because I was a little bit interested in kind of seeing what it was like and because I've never watched it. And it explains so much. And it's like, I don't think I wanted that. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I wanted to it all to be explained away. So I was a little bit bummed out that I watched it, to be honest. Um, yeah, I'm not going to. I don't think I, I can. won't even tell I you. Think I'm I not going to tell I, you because I cherish the I cherish the the ambiguity of this too much. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about the ending then, um, because okay. Oh, Mike, what what I was asking before we got yeah, yeah, sidetracked yeah. was that that all happened, but I I don't actually understand 
how he got into that warp of right i i don't totally understand it either i think it has to do with like when he came into the monolith it, it, i don't know what that warp exactly represents and i think the only downfall i think my biggest the biggest downfall i can see in this film is whenever kubrick uses uh that montage in the warp with um putting in like those those uh those color meshed um versions of Life? utah and arizona like oh, i just don't i don't why, feel like why? they really go together i don't feel like it complements the rest of the vision in yeah, that warp where is dave from i don't know where is he from i don't i don't know either but what i what i gained from that was dave was experiencing his own personal reality and and other oh, realities yeah? simultaneously uh, that could like, be I, I feel like yeah yeah that's a good that, way to. that was my interpretation that could be of a way it. To see it yeah that's for sure uh, that makes it make more sense. Have you seen? Um, have you seen? Uh, there's a movie out right now with. Um, oh, oh, New Mutants. What's that guy's name? No. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg and Imogene Poots. Imogene Potts. <laughs> Did you say that wrong on purpose? Okay. <laughs> I had a hard time realizing what you were saying. It's a. Uh, Vivarium. Oh, it's not out. It's just it's on. Uh... It's out, no. dude. It's out. Out. Like it's out. If it's not in, it's okay. out. Why are you correcting it's me on normally this? Normally, when you right say now. out, it's you in have theaters. The to watch it right now. Right now, you have the ability. I was to thinking watch. of movies it's in out. theaters. That's why I said new means. Um, you know, yeah, I haven't it's watched it yet, studio. but I do. I do. It's on Prime, right? Yeah, it's, yeah I, uh, watch I think it. it's an Amazon movie. Um. <clears throat> At the end, I don't know why I'm saying this. Spoiler alert! <laughs> <laughs> At the end, uh, there's a there's a moment where that character, I'm a Gene Poots mm-hmm. um, character, like experiences four or five realities, and it's like the same type of montage where each reality is like like color overlaid like this, uh-huh. and and it's like weaving back and forth between her personal reality and and the alternate realities that are happening in other yeah. people's lives as well. So I, what I gained from this watch of it was like, there's something in Dave mm-hmm. that is being accessed by that, that being of the monolith. That's like, that's like projecting, you know, his personal life along with the other realities, yeah. you know, because I, I, what I believe is happening is that monolith is, is giving him true sight. like, you know, like, some sort of it's kind of like a rival in the sense of you know yeah yeah, yeah. the language is unlocking so subjugation because like yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm literally pulling all of this out of thin air <laughs> is but, it out of thin air or is it out of somewhere guys, else let me, tell you guys, <laughs> let me tell you guys where uh let me tell you guys what 2001 <laughs> is trying to tell us <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that happens too often on this show. <laughs> this is what actually happened in this movie. <laughs> yeah. So this this is, this this is, is what, what Stanley Kubrick was trying to say. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. We got a direct line and and we know this is all right. 
<laughs> anyway, I believe that th- that's what that's what I think. I think that Dave accessed hmm. like some sort of the monolith was just like beaming in that's reality to it. You know? Man, I really regret watching 2010 because like yeah, it, it's so, totally. Don't tell me. It, I know. I know. Does it explain where the monolith came from? Uh, yeah, sort of. N- not really, but Dude, I'm what? I'm assuming that the rest of the sequels get more into that. But okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too into detail. But um, what I think happens, I'm trying to like separate them from my mind right now. <laughs> oh, and just give like organic. Yeah, thought. like what I actually think about 2001. Um, man, that's hard. But yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Because like I was always so confused about the whole baby thing. <laughs> You know what I mean? Dude, that makes the most sense, I think. In what way? I want to hear your thoughts. Well, it's like it's like it, you know what? It maybe it makes sense now because we've had so much like we've had so much flood of different sci-fi stuff give us yeah. different things like this, but like I I see that as as like as like the circle of life and mm. some sort of like weird scientific, almost Lovecraftian way, mm. like this monolith so is taking what's yeah what's left of Dave's dying corpse and and have you ever seen Transcendence? Oh my god, you love that movie. Oh baby, I love Transcendence. I can't stand but that movie. I, it's kind of like that where like like. You know Johnny Depp's character is on his deathbed or whatever, but they take what's left yeah. of his consciousness. I can't we're talking and, about and transcendence into... in the same breath as 2001. <laughs> There's no comparison, the dude. Same. Yeah, it's basically the same. <laughs> no, movie. that movie's trash. Anyway, it's I... such it, that movie. Hold on, before we go on, <laughs> transcendence is so bad that the director never worked again. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> and Christopher Nolan because as a director... he used to. Okay, this is his first movie directing Transcendence. And the, Christopher Nolan gave him the. Uh, Chris, he was actually Christopher Nolan's DP for a long time. Are you telling me this or the I'm people? I'm telling the people this, but also you. Okay. But here's my thought because he made he did a lot of good work as a DP. He was great as a director oh. of photography. And then he went and yep. made this movie, Transcendence, and Christopher Nolan never took him back as a DP. So in my head, Christopher Nolan was like, no, you're a director now. <laughs> like, you wanted to leave. You wanted to leave me. You put me in the. You put me in the yeah. in the shirt, and now I have to go find a new DP. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the last thing I want to do is say my DP is the director. Exactly. Of exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, you might Anyways. be right. No, I I think that I think that that montage that we saw shows us the true power of the monolith, like like that 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 this all powerful mm-hmm. being for lack of a better word. And I just think now that, now that that, that thing had access to, to like, like human DNA, mm. it was able to create life. Right. Do you, do you, and that, that's how do you I think the monolith? And is, I think that, go I ahead, think, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead no, 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 you go ahead. No, you no, no, go. No, I, I, no, please. you go. Uh, please. <laughs> okay. Do you think that the monolith is the actual extraterrestrial being? I do. That's interesting. I do think that. I, I never saw it that, that way. Some sort of ship. I think that it. I think that it is because I. I think that in the beginning. In the beginning, during the dawn of man sequence, um, the the beings, the apes, mm-hmm. are so like they're so like put off by mm-hmm. it. Like I think that I think that that shows us that there's a presence that it, that comes along with it. Then That's on the moon, it's like. Well, that whole sequence 
I, I, I believe that. Now, I don't know if 2010 gave you some new outlook into the fact no, that it's not. It, it didn't really go either, I, either way, really, as far as I could... I believe that the monolith is 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 like um it's like dark matter in a sense of mm-hmm. like like it's it's a a it's a it's matter with with intelligence. Mhm. That's interesting. I uh, the way I always thought about the monolith itself is that it's a screen kind of like what we're doing here like I'm talking to you through the screen and we're communicating. I I always thought of it as that like it's it's one side of the screen where the being the extraterrestrial beings or whatever you want to call them are looking out from that screen into this new world. Um and then I always That's thought interesting. I always thought that the extraterrestrial beings especially towards the end were either like outside of that room looking in or they were in that room with dave because like we get a sense kubrick does this really well we get a sense of like there's some somebody else here and dave even feels that like he he looks out and then like all of a sudden he's looking at himself in the future and then he is that person in the future and his older his newer self is gone or whatever so um but i always felt like maybe kubrick was trying to like maybe say a little more with like that whole atmospheric being of like something else being there with him. I don't know. I always thought that like that whole sequence at the end where he's in that room, that grand room was like, um, like these extraterrestrial beings studying this human that they had contact with for the first time. And then, dude, you know what it could, you know what it could be? No. What? what? (laughs) Uh, it could be, it could be the it could be the concept of like the tesseract type thing like he's yeah. looking into it and seeing time you know what uh-huh. i mean so like maybe maybe he looks into it and knows that he's seeing himself like that's that's a stretch i feel mm-hmm. but at the same time i i feel like time in that chapter of the of the film was very evident of like I don't I feel like he was crossing the threshold of time and like mm-hmm. moving along it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe maybe that's what the monolith the whole purpose of it is is like Yeah. Almost like a portal yeah, I to, see that. to see through. Cuz I I like but, I said like I think that whole portal sequence when he's going through that like light tunnel or whatever um is him entering the monolith in a way. So I I could I could see that as well. Uh, I'd be curious to see what, how Arthur C. Clarke like rounded off the novel, see how he actually ended that novel. Not, not for clues of what it actually means, but just to even see. No, I haven't. No, I haven't. I haven't either. Um, I don't think I will though, because I don't want to be spoiled more than I already am. Yeah. Did you read The Shining? Yeah. Long time ago though. Long time ago. How did, how did it, have you seen The Shining? Yes. So many times. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I'm giggling because I love up. that movie. <laughs> hey, does he have any original work? Like Arthur uh, C. Clarke? Has he done any? Le- no, who? Stanley Kubrick. Did oh, he do like any, not uh, non uh, adaptations. Yeah, a Clockwork Orange was a novel. It too, was, right? I believe, it was yeah. by was it Ray Bradbury? No, but it was somebody I, along that no. line. Um, You're thinking of somebody uh, along that line of thinking. 19, 1984. 1984. Yeah, no, Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit yeah. 451. Um, 1984 was uh, or or yeah. Orwell. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know if his any of his work is uh, original. 
Well, maybe. What about a full metal jacket? Full full metal. Or I was thinking even uh, eyes wide shut. I wonder if eyes wide shut was a was a book. <laughs> Dude, if that's his original work. If that's his original work, he's got some weird <laughs> needs to peel shit back in his mind. That man and figure out what is going on. I would, I would hope that any of the other ones would be organic thought. <laughs> I'm going to make a movie now. I've got the perfect idea. I feel like you could massive. say the same thing about like Clockwork Orange, though. Like That movie can be very... Well, then he's got something to say about that, though. There's, There's some... Every film he has got something to say about, though. Ugh, whatever, dude. I think we should just do a Stanley Kubrick season down the line yeah, and really cool. go into it. So, um, yeah. But anyways, moving on, <laughs> dude. This movie, even today, visually stunning. Yeah, I would I, agree. I think I that, I think that today's standards even it holds up. Yeah, like, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, I love that match cut from the Dawn of Man into the spaceship. Yeah. Uh, it, it, obviously, there's a ton of like iconic match cuts throughout cinematic history. Like, I, off yeah. the top of my head, I could think of like Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, what else? There, there's so many. A Psycho. Like, there's so many different ones you can pick from. If you want to go even like more recently, Scott Pilgrim is basically all match cuts. If you want to think about it that way, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but uh, that one like really stuck out to me when I was watching it this 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 time. It was really, yeah, really cool. Yeah, that that whole thing too is like all of the other transitions from chapters. Like you said, this film is very evidently split up into four specific mm-hmm. quarters. Like. That's the only one where it's like, like a smooth transition. Yeah, Everything yeah, yeah. else is just like, yeah. Because we had the intermission in the middle. Oh, which I there's... love the intermission, dude. I love Me that. Too. Like, it's still on there, even though it's a, like you don't need an intermission nowadays for a two and a half hour movie. Right. Yeah, dude. I got. Uh, I have the Blu-ray of yeah. it. And same thing. Intermission's still on. Yeah, there. I love that they Where's... they keep it in there. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's super yeah. cool. Uh, you know what else does that? Huh. Uh, the Hateful Eight. That's right. Which I actually yeah, just watched that, recently for my other for the other podcast, uh, for the Netflix Five Hundred. So when you when you watched the Hateful Eight, uh-huh. uh, just out of curiosity, you watched the four part Netflix. I watched both. So yeah, so for okay. the Netflix Five Hundred, we actually just covered Hateful Eight along with uh, the Outlaw King and the Platform. So that should be out already. No, it'll will it will be out on Monday. Um, so A little treat. <laughs> will it be out on Monday? No, it's gonna. I don't know. It's. I think it's coming it out in Monday. Released this previous either Monday, that or it's coming right? out on Monday. I can't remember right now. Next, I Monday. can't think straight okay. right now. <laughs> <laughs> We're either in between. We're in between Mondays. Yeah. it's either last Monday or upcoming exactly. Monday. Uh, but my question. So I watched. So I've seen. I've seen all three versions. Oh wait, there's I've three versions. This. So he did. So he did the there's original this, version. Yeah. The, okay. That was. That was. The, the theatrical cut the 70 millimeter yep no the 70 millimeter oh, okay. version so that i watched then i watched the extended version mm-hmm. on netflix that was like yep no no before oh, okay. before it was on gotcha. netflix the extended version and then netflix released it so okay. the the two full versions had the intermission but because netflix is in four pieces there's no intermission 
it didn't really right. have it. But at, now that we're talking about it, though, the Hateful Eight's actually kind of set up kind of the same way, like which is a Tarantino esque thing I think already uh, to break the films down into chapters like yeah. that. But like I watched it last week, so I, if I'm remembering correctly, there's either five or six chapters in Hateful Eight, so it's a little bit more. Some of the chapters are smaller than because in in uh, um in 2001, more or less, all of the chapters are pretty pretty close in time equal yeah. in time uh, yeah. i think yeah i think the the last chapter is a little shorter and the dawn of man chapter is maybe a little longer than the last chapter but it's also shorter than the middle two but the middle two are pretty the, uh, are pretty pretty close yeah the the first and last chapters have completely no dialogue that's right yeah yeah um hey so i was uh you know the amount of stuff that they like filmed and produced for this no 200 times the length of the film oh my god the amount of cash footage and 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 like conceptual That's work nuts. that they have but it makes sense times this especially length. for the that whole portal scene there's a, probably a lot yeah. of work that went done into that which yeah, also sure. first of all I, I understand how they did some of the um more galaxy look of the portal feel because I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, reading that it was done with like ink blobs and things like that in water. Uh, yeah, yeah, with I was a black, that too. black background, which is incredible and it's very ingenuitive. And I think, from what I remember reading, Kubrick actually got that off of a like a photographer, and he saw that work, and he wanted to do something similar mm. for the video. Um, nowadays, like you can do that in your kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, with right. a good camera or even not even a great camera, really, if you if you really wanted to get into it. But um, so I understand how you did that. But I was like very impressed with some of the more graphical stuff in. Yeah. In the, like that the, portal uh, scene. The There's, digital. Yeah. The digi- I, the, the I have no like clue those, how they did that. I can I, I can fathom a way I. to do it today. But back then with film, I don't know. I have no clue. I can't, I'm that, coming up short. It looked so good, too. So good. Yeah crisp like yeah really good really really good yeah crazy it's funny since we're talking about the portal scene we've talked about it multiple times throughout this but um so as i said in the beginning this was kind of like gonna be a critical disaster or like they were not gonna make the money back right from the first week when it was released they were like they're gonna the, the studio actually was planning on not marketing anymore and pulling it from theaters and some theaters in major cities uh, midnight theaters, especially like that, which is open past midnight. They were begging the studio not to pull it out because they were getting so many <laughs> people on psychedelic drugs yeah. coming into this movie specifically for that scene. Like they would apparently like people would even time it out when to take the drugs throughout the film so that they could like peak doing that scene. Makes total sense. It's, it's, yeah. it's incredible. <laughs> So like it became a critical success and it became not a critical success, I guess they it did get a lot of really good uh, critics, like uh, a lot of really good critical feedback, but uh, it made its money back a lot because of what was going on in the sixties back then. Yeah. Yeah. I With bet. the drug revolution. I bet. Yeah. yeah. I, so there's so many people out there who say that this is like one of the most boring movies of all time. Right. I've heard that so many times. I have never once felt that in my no, life. No, I don't think I don't. I think I might have not liked it very much the first time. I think I might have been like, "Why is this film so hyped up?" But I was also very young. Um, but there's so much visually. It's funny because that, this is one of those movies that 
I'm sure if you look up like most boring movie lists of all time, you know what I mean? Like a list of like the most boring movies of all time. I'm sure this movie probably ranks up pretty high on that list because of, yeah. you know, the way the people that make those lists are probably don't don't like this movie. But this, on the other hand, this movie is one of the most critically acclaimed films of all time. Like it's constantly up at the top of the best films of all time. Consistently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it just wasn't made for the uh, average American. Whoa, dude. Hold on. I don't know if you know this, but we live in America, so I don't want to. Yeah, but we're far above average. <laughs> Listen, I actually discovered this week that we have a big, big amount of, uh, I think it's like a, a 3% viewership and listenership in uh, the UK. So I guess we're just catering to them now. <laughs> yep. Yep. This episode is specifically to our <laughs> friends in Europe. <laughs> Oh man. Oh, yeah. Dude, it's crazy. And 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 it's crazy to see this. Like I said, it holds up today, but to see this and see the inspiration that modern sci-fi takes from movies like this. Like yeah. like you're saying Ad Astra is this in a way. Like like yeah. the the concepts that we see in that movie are are extremely similar to something that we would have seen in 2001. 100%. You know what I mean? Yeah. I it's it's amazing to me that a film like this can inspire so many people to become filmmakers. Um, yeah. Cause I, I probably, I would probably need like 10 hands to count off the top of my head. Some of the directors that were inspired by Kubrick and inspired by this film. Um, right. Another thing that really blows my mind is that Kubrick was so ahead of his time as far as some of the themes that he worked into this now into this, this, this Crazy, actual like, story, um, like the it, monolith, like who would have thought, I mean, I'm sure Kubrick, wasn't totally sure but like kubrick must have had some kind of inkling of a thought that like this this model like today we all have monoliths in our in our pockets you know what i mean right like this right. is a monolith like it's crazy I mean? like yeah I, I, I think i think there's a lot that goes into that i think that's why i think the themes of like uh technological uh advancement and evolution is so present here we see that a lot with how yeah. Which is another yeah. another thing that I really don't like about 2010. I'm gonna spoil this part for you because I don't think it, it'll matter because um, it didn't really matter to me. I was just kind of like I didn't like it because in 2010, Hal uh, basically gets like a comeback story where it like Earth sends a couple astronauts out to like find Discovery and they find them and plug Hal back in and realize that Hal's like malfunctioning or whatever, and they have to escape Jupiter's at atmosphere. And Hal sacrifices himself for these humans on the other ship to get them out of that atmosphere. And um, it's like cool. It's a endearing, and it's it's uh, it's a nice way to complete that's Hal's true nature, though. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's nothing inside of the Kubrick film that indicates that at all. No, that ruins it. it, it I don't think it's yeah. I think it ruins Hal's storyline completely, um, and what Kubrick was trying to say with it. So, but. Uh, I'm very, very impressed. Every time I watch this movie, I think we said it in the last episode, like this movie, this film rewards you for watching it. And every yeah, time, absolutely. every time I watch absolutely. this film, I'm more and more impressed by what I watch and what Kubrick did back then. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like, like I think about even, even the smaller design elements, like, like the text and, and, and uh, yeah. like instructional, like things that are on the ship and stuff like that. 
the way that's laid out and the way that's designed, dude, that would hold up today. No, hundred like, percent. Part of me, part of me wants to know if that was like inspiration for like modern, modern. Like, oh yeah, like sleek. So design, you know what's you know funny? What I, mean? like, um, I believe I can't remember if, what company it was. I want to say it was Samsung. I may be mistaken here, but. Uh, I'm just going to use Samsung as a placeholder because I don't remember what company it was. But Samsung sued Apple because Apple said that their design inspiration for, I think, their first Mac computer or one of the Mac computers was was 2001. And Samsung's like, no, you guys got this from us. <laughs> I don't think it was Samsung. I can't remember what, what company it was. Um but I just thought that was really funny. But yeah, 100%. I could totally see like people like Steve Jobs being influenced by right by this. Totally. Yeah. Totally. By the design I mean, elements when you look in this. At yeah. Stuff, yeah. It's super sleek, super yeah, modern. 100%. Like everything everything that you'd see in that like dude, another thing we haven't even touched was the 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 actual practical effects of that 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 chamber that they made that rotating oh yeah chamber. i was gonna mention that if you weren't we going to we didn't even get i was to about to yet. mention that's it. so um, funny that dude that is like that is a, a practical effects 100 like, percent. you know what's crazy yeah. is that i was watching it and i understand how they did it mentally yeah but as i watch it i'm like how did they do this <laughs> because some of the movements that they do it's like Especially when there's a scene when Frank and Dave are both walking into another part of the the uh, discovery, and yeah. it did not make sense to me how they walked off of this platform onto this platform, and they're like going. It didn't like I was like, this is so confusing. <laughs> I had to go back and watch it over and over again, and I could not figure it out. I couldn't figure it out. But like, yeah, hundred percent. The practical effects on this film, I think, have set up some of the biggest films of all time since then yeah um the most obvious one being inception in my opinion right because that the room. way they did that rotating yeah. hallway and the whole hotel scene it's it's very evident that a lot of the influences there came from this film um yeah but even the it, concept it, of just, being able to yeah Right, 100%. But like, I, I think it goes so much farther than just like this similarity in practical effect. I think it's practical effect as a whole. Like Jurassic Park is holds up today the way it does because of the practical effect in that film. Absolutely. Uh, it, which is, I, I think it's the same thing as this. If Kubrick had done some other kind of special effect work here where it wasn't so practical, I don't, yeah. maybe it wouldn't have hold, held up as far as like the effects in this film. Um, yeah. So I'm... It just blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it blows my mind, like the amount, the 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 size of this practical effect. Like he, he also had to have some like gusto in him because all he had done before this was uh, Strange Love was his biggest hit. So, yeah, but I mean, it's evident for to a see studio that to like really believe in him like that. It's it's evident to see that his approach to filmmaking was was kind of like how Pattinson approaches acting in the sense of like. Uh, I write, I've done this. Now I plan to not do that again. Like, mm -hmm. like I'm moving on to something completely different now, yeah, yeah, yeah. which, which there's a but lot what of I'm directors is, of our uh, time go ahead, go ahead. that, that like, that like approach it. And, and I really appreciate that. The, the adverse approach of like, okay, I did that. Now I'm going to do it again, but this time I'm going to make it 10 times better. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, I, I agree. What, what, what surprises me the most about this film though is the fact that it was even done 
that it was even made. Right. I'm so I'm so surprised that the studio would like put money behind this because I mean it 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 had to have cost a, a a pretty penny to make that that whole practical effects setup. Yeah. And then all the special effects that went into it, all the film that they used. You said it was two hundred times the length of this of this the actual yeah, movie. Yeah, dude, that's the like four hundred. Film is expensive. Yeah, that's like four hundred hours of. So so like. Uh, I, he 4, he had he had the trust of the studio. I don't know how that happened. I don't either. I don't either. I, I was strange. But I'm glad because we wouldn't have gotten The Shining, right? I, I guess it. I guess it was. But like, still, Strange Love is a very strange film because Strange Love is a satire, and it. I I, I don't know how. If Strange Love were to come out today, it would be a cult following film. Like it right. would not make a lot of success, right. I don't think. So I don't know how it was as successful as it was back then. And on top of that, I don't know how the studio would give so much money to a film that's supposed to be very serious to somebody who made a satire as like like Strange Love was. Yeah. Um, so it's I'm just so surprised that this was made. I'm just very surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I especially for its time this yeah this was like crazy and you know there's that whole theory of like that 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 was the whole concept of what i read it was like you know i was i kind of went down this theorist rabbit hole of the whole like apollo moon landing thing and Mm -hmm. they what they were saying was 200 (laughs) times the excess footage from this movie and Mm -hmm. that's their core foundation of like that's why the moon landing was fake because yeah, yeah, yeah. there's 200 <laughs> times the amount of footage that they actually needed. So, so much he was more, working yeah, a side job. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. I that's think- why That's why he was uh, – that That kind of makes sense. We're going down like a, a conspiracy theory rabbit hole now. It's like the only way he was able to have the money to make this movie was by the government paying for it. Yeah. Everyone, <laughs> NASA funded. <laughs> NASA funded 2001 A Space Odyssey. Oh man! No, it's crazy though. <laughs> this is uh, this is on my top tens list and always will be. I think yeah. um, uh, it's incredible. It's 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 a, a marvel even today in filmmaking. Like 100%. like you yeah. watch this and and you're just blown away by the themes, by 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 the social approach it has, by like mm. by. The, the emotional feel that you you experience understanding that like that was the grasp of of human evolution then and, and now we're experiencing mm-hmm. like like some of these evolutionary themes in in life today you know like advancement yeah, of, yeah. of of humanity like technology wasn't going anywhere quick in the 60s you know but now look yeah. at it like we experience something new in technology daily so it's like and the uh, the great prophet Stanley Kubrick is just coming in with like <laughs> full understanding of what artificial intelligence is going to look like in in 40 years, you know what I mean? Like I don't know, totally. it's crazy. It's crazy. And also like yeah. AI, what was that even a concept <laughs> in the 60s? I don't I don't know. Do you think people it, watched it the, the, the 2001 and go like, "Yes, we can do that." <laughs> we can do it. It's very impressive. It, it, it left. It's funny because I've seen this so many times. But even last last night after I watched it, I I was like getting ready for bed and I'm I'm sitting there looking at myself in the mirror, brushing my teeth, and I'm just like, 
thinking about all these AI possibilities and like the moral like the moral challenges we'll have yeah. in the future once like AI can feel and like you know how if you go back to like uh, the Civil Rights Act, uh, you know, or even like uh, when black people only had the three fifths vote, right? Right. Like, so if we had those kind of dilemmas back then, how is this going to be with with the future when AI is like thinking for themselves, is like we have the right to vote, why can't we vote? Right. We I can. Robot, we feel baby. we. I robot that kind of that stuff. So it's kind of. It's. About, I just started thinking about that. And I was like. That, that's what I mean by like this film rewards you. Yeah. Like, if you put in the time and you watch this movie, it really gives you something back and makes you think a lot. Um, but yeah, so that's 2001. We can sit here and talk so much more, but we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, next week, we're actually talking about Sola- Solaris. Solaris? I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Solaris. But Tarkovsky. <laughs> Tarkovsky, baby. Tarkovsky, baby. Um, and I'm very excited about this one as well. We had a lot of uh, we had a lot of Tarkovsky options because in that in that kind of like that's right in that vein he had a lot of like foundational sci-fi stuff right. that was coming out. We but. were we were we were mainly between uh, Stalker and yeah. and Solar- Solaris. But, so we went with Solaris because it's a little bit more sci-fi specific. But right, um, we're, I'm really excited for this Me one. Too. I haven't watched this in probably ten years now, so I'm I'm excited to jump back in. Yeah, I watched the I may even watch the remake with George Clooney. I think George Clooney's in it just to like kind of have a a. Uh, this one gets itself against yeah hey everyone jaywow here we hope you enjoyed our thoughts on this quintessential film there is so much more brant and i could have said and we plan on having a more detailed episode in the future whenever we tackle all of stanley kubrick's films next week we are taking a look at another highly influential filmmaker's work andre tarkovsky's 1972 science fiction art film solaris don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to keep up with every episode and follow us on instagram at 2 underscore 35 media for extra content on these films and more see you next week Thank you.